how the media got the Brian Williams story all wrong, and hey, newspapers want a younger video audience? Try a sock puppet. A sock puppet? This is episode 13 of Media Unplugged, the podcast that goes behind the spin to reveal what's really happening in media. Media Unplugged with Tom A. Sacker and Mark Ramsey. Welcome to Media Unplugged. I'm Mark Ramsey. And I'm Tom Asacker. Tom, how the media got the Brian Williams story all wrong. I really think they got this completely messed up. This is in part from uh, a piece by Grant McCracken on his blog, Culture By. It's uh, titled Cultural Anchors and the Illusion That Was Brian Williams. I love his titles. (laughs) Now, how would you describe Grant, first of all? Oh, Jesus. You know, he's probably one of the smartest guys I know. I mean, I've known him for years and if you want to understand culture, how to create it, how to discover value in it, he's the go-to guy. Grant is kind of, I guess I'd call him a cultural anthropologist. That's as many syllables as I can get out of my mouth to describe (laughs) what he does. What I know about him, I saw him in New York a while back. He loves the word artisanal. For some reason, every other word is artisanal. (laughs) So anyway, this piece is about the Brian Williams story and in part about Michael Wolff's piece about Brian. Uh, he notes, Wolf says there's something terribly old-fashioned about the idea of the network anchor and a news broadcast that still matters as the primary source of news. Wolf sees through this illusion. The <laughs> mystery, he says, is that Williams managed to live the lie for so long. Is that your take on it? Ah, look, I, I think Grant's take on it is right. He says that we like our illusions. <laughs> and I, and I, think, I think that really we love and hold tightly to our illusions, especially in times like this, times of stress, things are confusing, we're filled with anxiety. So what do we do when that, when that happens? And, and, you know, psychologists, sociologists, they study this and they tell us that we find comfort during these times mm-hmm. in our habits, you know, our favorite music, uh, the reruns of comforting TV shows, or to Grant's point, in these cultural anchors, you know, these seasoned quote-unquote experts who help us understand and negotiate the chaos. Well, as far as Grant's take on it, I think you're right and I think he's right, but he's taking it a a layer deeper than most of the media analysts are taking it. I want to start with where the media analysts are and where Michael Wolf is because the idea, the central idea of, of Wolf and a lot of other people talking about this in the media is why do we even have network news broadcasts? Why do we even have an anchor? Why do we even have this show on its 6637 called uh, Nightly News on NBC? And in my opinion, this is the media thinking it understands itself and it really doesn't. If, if you go back 20 years ago and ask the question, why do people go to the evening news on the network? There was an answer, right? And the answer was, I need an update from my morning newspaper, right? That's right. Now, today, millions of people are still going to the the nightly newscast, but why? I think the media analysts are assuming the answer to that question is the same answer it was 20 years ago and saying, well, there's no reason for this show to be here. My point is, I think people know exactly why they're going to that show. They're going to that show for infotainment. They're going to that show for, as you say, habit. They're going to that show because today a news broadcast is not a news show. It's simply a topical TV show hosted by a TV star. 
So the idea that, you know, it's network news and news, they're old fashioned. That's only if you're seeing the program through a 20 year old lens. Today's viewers, I think, know exactly why they watch and they're way ahead of the media pundits. What's your take? No, no, you're right. Look, I I liked Grant's uh, terminology, this cultural anchor. I mean, in essence, what he's saying and why we go to these particular places, shows, is that they are our tribal curators, Right, mm-hmm. I mean, these are our these are our media shaman. These are the ones with the magical knowledge that are going to comfort us. That are going to accumulate all of, like you said, not just entertainment but information. You know, breaking news. It's all right there. Here's what's important. Don't worry about the fact that you didn't have all day to spend on Twitter and LinkedIn and all that. We found <laughs> it all for you. Sit down, relax, spend a half hour. Let us take you through it. But see, I think my point's even beyond that. My point's saying, even for those of you who do spend all day knowing exactly what's going on, this is still a comfortable infotainment show that you can enjoy. Why? Because it's a TV show and it's hosted by a TV star. (laughs) You know, recently there's been a lot of hullabaloo over the ratings declines on the show since Brian was ripped off the show. And people are concluding, well, see what happens when NBC loses trust? My point is, no. NBC's losing ratings on NBC Nightly News because you just removed the star of the show. That's right. When you take Jerry off Seinfeld, you've taken the main reason I watched the show away. That's why the ratings are down by double digits, not because people have lost faith in Brian Williams. And further, I would argue you bring back Brian Williams tomorrow, you're going to watch those ratings rebound overnight. Yeah, I think you're right. Listen, Mike, I think Michael Wolf is, he's got this a little bit mixed up in his own mind about what an anchor or a newsman ever was as a media uh-huh. personality. I mean, Grant cites Wolf in The Hollywood Reporter saying that Brian Williams is a, a quote, made-up figure, <laughs> America's most prominent newsman who has never reported the news. Now, think about that today with regard to the media and social media, everything. <laughs> who the hell is not a made-up figure today? The tens of thousands of social media experts who've never grown a, a business Right? I mean, all of the best-selling business authors who've never actually owned or operated a business. <laughs> right? Listen, it was a few years ago when San Diego had the huge, huge fires. That I live in San Diego, and not far from where my office is, a whole neighborhood burned to the ground. And they airdropped Brian in from the sky, and there he was standing in the middle of a burned-out shell of a house in Rancho Bernardo. And he was in a shirt that looked like it had. Uh, it was. It was such a uh, perfectly pressed shirt. It looked like it had pressed itself. <laughs> he looked like a million bucks standing there amidst rubble. So there. That's very much to your point. Now, one thing that um, that Grant does say that I do not agree with. He said, the problem is that we need to head into the cultural laboratory and figure out who will fill this role. Not Williams, that much is clear. We don't want grand, sententious self-aggrandizing. That was then. And I'm thinking, what? That's all we want is grand, (laughs) sententious self-aggrandizing. What is Kanye West but grand, sententious self-aggrandizing? What is Bill O'Reilly, the man who made the term bloviating famous? No, you're but right. But grand, sententious self I think he's really off base there. Yeah, look, if they, if they ever did, you know, a sequel to The Wizard of Oz, you would have seen all the people in Oz miserable as hell that the wizard wasn't still there. They want him to take that <laughs> balloon and come back. <laughs> That's absolutely true. All right, you're listening to Media Unplugged with Tom Asacker and Mark Ramsey. 
Topic two, hey, newspapers, want a younger video audience? Try a sock puppet. <laughs> now, this one came out of left field, and as you know, I just fell in love with this little story. This is from Net News Check, and the title is Want a Younger Newspaper Audience? Don't Play It Straight. Um, this is about um, uh, a, an online video platform called Four Corners TV produced by a newspaper, I guess what originally would be called a newspaper company, and the Four Corners, I had to look this up, referred to Durango, Farmington, Aztec, and Cortez, which evidently framed the corners of Colorado and New Mexico. <laughs> there, is that for amazing trivia? Isn't that awesome? That's awesome. <laughs> so Four Corners TV is what the platform is called. It's built a growing audience of 25 to 45-year-olds, but constant experimentation in its year-long existence has shown that younger viewers don't want straight news from their online videos, even if it's irreverent. What its Southwestern audience does like is content on pot, <laughs> extreme sports and local comedy. And the site is taking another crack at news this time with a sock puppet. It's by Doug Bennett, someone who writes often for Net News Check. And uh, here's some of what it says. Four Corners TV, an online network sprung from the understanding that our newspapers did not attract a younger demographic. Ta-da! <laughs> our goal was to attract and retain a younger audience through new formats and content choices. Over half of weekly viewers are 25 to 45. They have an average of 3,000 videos viewed each week, which in that area I presume is a lot, 12,000 uh, views a month and growing. For example, one of the areas, Farmington, specific episodes from Farmington hosted by a local talent, including a Navajo comedy team. <laughs> the FourCornersTV.com mission is delivering stories with an irreverent tone. It led, us, it led them to push the boundaries with topics like cannabis, uh, covering everything from dispensaries to edibles and more. Again, they saw a jump in interest. We went with extreme, we went more extreme with our adventure sports coverage showing mountain climbing, night biking, and ice climbing, to name a few. That resulted in an all-time high. During this period of testing, we confirmed that straight news, even with an irreverent tone, was the least watched programming. But we're not ready to give up on news altogether, so we're looking to models like The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> to take a cynical, more off-kilter and character-driven approach to the news uh, to appeal to this important age group. With in mind, we're introducing Phil and Handy, <laughs> a very talented sock puppet, we hope so, to anchor our news desk. <laughs> He'll focus on slightly off-color stories using a humorous de delivery, no kidding, while keeping a straight face as it were. What's your take on this? Uh... I know people out there saying, what the hell is going on with our culture, right? <laughs> but but they're doing what every media brand should be doing, and that's trying to figure out what the new balance is between journalism and the business of media, right? Between mm -hmm. information and entertainment. Because, listen, we are all in a ferocious competition for people's attention. And the pressures on costs and profits are increasing daily. Mm -hmm. So how should journalism, how should news journalism be created and distributed in today's environment? What are the new models based on changing technologies, demographics, economics? Here's the thing. You can't think it out. You have to try it out, mm. right? Yes, and to that point... Um he goes on to write, the lessons learned in our first year brought a measure of success and given us the flexibility to, as you say, try new ideas. Along the way, we realized that additional staffing was necessary to pull off the kind of programming that has worked. So we've added another editor and show producer. Fortunately, our focus on entertainment over news has created a higher acceptance rate among advertisers, helping us to absorb the cost. So there are a couple things I take from this. First of all, 
uh, it's a recognition, um, as you say, that they're leveraging what I would call, I guess, their competitive advantage, which is not to be the news source for the four corners, but rather to efficiently, effectively, and maybe universally connect consumers with their clients, the advertisers, right. um, better than any other uh, platform can at the scale they can do it with the local focus, they can do it. So in a sense, it's not news at all. It's not journalism at all. It makes no pretense even to be news or journalism. What it is, is information, or again, relating to the Brian Williams thing, infotainment. I know everybody hates that term. Right. I hate that term that connects uh, audiences with advertisers. That's one thing. The other thing that occurs to me about this is there's a recognition that you need to test and invest for results. That's key, right? I mean, it's, you know, ready, fire, aim. Mark, how did today's 20-somethings, I've got two of them, learn their ABCs? Uh, Sesame Street. Yeah, exactly, right? It's an experimental Mm -hmm. television format. What did they use? Entertainment, celebrities. Right. Cultural references, humor, whatever worked. Gladwell uh, said that Sesame Street was built around a single, get ready, breakthrough insight that if you can hold the attention of children, you can educate them. (laughs) Guess what? (laughs) Duh. The same is true of adults because children are not little people. Adults are big children. We want to be entertained. We want to be inspired. We want to be amazed. That's, that's what it's all about. When they asked Americans back in 2007, there was a poll done by uh, the Pew Research Center for the People and the Press, to name the journalists they most admired. Mm-hmm. The Daily Show's John Stewart, a fake mm-hmm. news anchor, came in at number four, tied with guess who? Number four. Who would be? I have no idea. Brian Williams. (laughs) Okay. And you know what? Williams and Tom Brokaw and Dan Rather and Anderson Cooper, they all tied with a fake news anchor. That's so interesting. Around that same time, I remember doing a research project for some folks in in public uh, radio. And the question was, who are the... Uh, people, the voices, the names in public radio you trust the most. And we had a bunch of names in there. And the number one name was the guy who's not on public radio, which again (laughs) is Jon Stewart. There you go. Um, And it's interesting too that, you know, Stewart, as you know, who of course just uh, announced he was stepping down from his show uh, at the end of uh, what, the year, I guess. Mm. Um, He has always been very vocal about the idea that his is a quote, fake news show. But here's the thing. It may be a fake news show, but it's a real infotainment show. And where the line is between those things, I think, is illusory because I don't think there is a line for younger audiences anymore. And the fact that uh, older folks see a line or want to see a line with Brian Williams and the NBC Nightly News or even Jon Stewart uh, in their puzzlement over what to make of The Daily Show, I think that's the fiction. Yeah, listen... (laughs) When it comes to, to the news and, and information and the media, if a tree falls in the woods and there's no one there to hear it, it makes no noise at all. Right. Attention has to come first. Every conversation I have, every interview I do, it always comes back to the A word, Tom. It's just utterly, utterly striking. Yesterday, I had a conversation with uh, Robert McKee. Do you know who he is? Yes, I do. So he wrote Story. Robert McKee, the author of the infamous uh, guide to all story writing, right. 
and screenwriting, uh, wrote the book story. Um, and it's funny, I said, what makes a great story? And all he, he started the answer by saying, you have to begin by capturing the attention of an audience. That's it. <laughs> it all starts there. <laughs> all right, it's time for rants and raves. Tom, what do you have for us this week? Oh, boy. Listen, you've, you, <laughs> be forewarned, I'm in a bit of a mood out here in Uh-oh, a land good. of endless snow, okay? so Yeah, I know, you poor guy. Uh, we're dying out here. So listen, it's, uh, there's so much to rant about. I didn't even know where to start. There's 48-year-old supermodel Cindy Crawford's unretouched lingerie photo. <laughs> which is making all of us aging boomers feel a bit better about ourselves. There's Facebook's new policy that allows users to appoint an executor who can keep their account active <laughs> after they die. Uh, that makes all of us narcissists happy, and it's another way for Facebook to keep active user numbers from sliding. <laughs> you know, I, active user numbers from sliding, what an awesome point. I never even thought of it from that perspective. But I've got to say, when I heard that news, I thought, who is it? that is so concerned about this issue that they're actually lobbying Facebook for a solution to it. I Of all the things that are going to matter to me on the day after the last day, I'm not going to be <laughs> at the pearly gates saying, one minute, I forgot to update my Facebook news feed. I hope not. <laughs> there was one other one I wanted to jump on. I hope I'm not stealing yours, but the um, when I read that the Associated Press had been publishing corporate earnings reports written entirely by robots... Uh, I mean, okay, not robots, software, but who cares? I realize this, this Rosie Jetson, she's finally here and she's after everybody's job now, everyone. But the, but the one that struck me the most was Fifty Shades of Grey crushing it at the box office, right? $235 million gross globally in its opening weekend, even though the reviews are saying things like uh, yonography, uh, Fifty Shades of Grey has turned out to be more like Fifty Shades of Blah. And who would have imagined that a movie about sex could be so boring? Oh, it's so cruel. Right? I mean, so it goes to show you what a massive book bestseller can do for the opening of a movie, especially an explicit ultra soft core S&M fantasy released during Valentine's Day weekend. I don't know about you, but when I heard that um, Dakota Johnson was the daughter of Melanie Griffith and Don Johnson, I can't look at her without seeing Don Johnson. And Miami I'm not Vice. interested. I'm not interested in that kind of Don Johnson movie, if you know what I mean. Uh, look at I do. Hey, listen, I, right. there is there is something I should add to that, and that is on a side note, the movie reviews that you just heard, and and it's 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 pretty universal. I mean, it, it was a stinker. It should kind of be a warning to all of the meeting planners that are listening into our show. Yes, a famous author will probably put plenty of asses in seats for your next event, but a popular book does not necessarily translate to an engaging or insightful speech. <laughs> so be very careful of a marketing hype fest, which may ultimately end in disappointment. <laughs> By the way, I think marketinghypefest.com is available, and there should be a conference of that name Let's sometime get it. soon. <laughs> but we should. All right, I've got another rant, of course, because I'm Mr. Rant, I guess you could call me. <laughs> um, this one, um, I'm a viewer of HLN. Yes, I'm the one. <laughs> and HLN, as we all know, uh, the network formerly known as Headline News back when there are headlines on news, um, is now the network that brings you a little bit of Dr. Drew, a little bit of Nancy Grace, and a whole lot of forensic files. <laughs> 
Well, they just debuted something which, you know, the world has been asking for, a new uh, show called News and a Movie. Because let's face it, Tom, it's hard to find a movie on television or online nowadays. So <laughs> news, news, news and, and a movie. Yes, you don't even understand, I don't even understand what that the means. construction, right? <laughs> it is basically a movie which is extended to make room for uh, talking heads to talk about the movie and its social context and so on. Here, I'll read you the description. <laughs> Um, from CNN Detail, each news in a movie presentation features a dedicated celebrity media panel primed to explore issues sparked by the film, its place in pop culture, and the current creative and critical climate of Hollywood. The show will also take a look at news stories that would have been trending at the time of the film's release. What? So there they are, and they've got 1989's Glory, starring Denzel Washington, Matthew Broderick, and others. That's a great movie. And <laughs> the celebrity uh, panel includes uh, folks like... Uh, CNN legal analyst Sonny Hostin, who I just can't get enough of. <laughs> Actress Holly Robinson-Pete, who I couldn't get enough of when she was in, um, what was the show? Now I'm free- Oh, 21 Jump Street. That's right. And uh, YouTube's Glozell, <laughs> whose real name is I Really Couldn't Frankly Care Less. Uh, that's the one who asked President Obama about his first wife, by the way. What? Wait a Which minute. Is what, the, what oh, is you didn't hear about that? So you watch Glory, and then at the end of the movie, no, after not at it's the over, end. all throughout, these guys are popping in. That's with like people sitting in so your room on. talking to you while you're watching a movie. <laughs> Who the hell wants to do that? <laughs> so, the network, once known for its news updates and coverage of lurid trials, has been in a makeover phase of sorts for the last year or so. And the launch of news in a movie is meant to emphasize some of HLN's new themes, namely its efforts to curate trends taking place on social media, as well as present programming that links viewers to Twitter, Facebook, and the rest. There was a lot of brainstorming over how to get movies on the network said the senior vice president of programming in an interview. We have, to be, we have to be more than just getting a movie on for the sake of putting a movie on, because nobody's interested in that. <laughs> so anyway, um, in case you're wondering, by the way, I had to see what the ratings were for this train wreck of a program. And when you look at the ratings for the debut night, of course, you know, the debut night, the biggest night for the, for the show, if you go from 6 p.m. on, where Forensic Files... On HLN gets 12,000, 124,000 in their wildest <laughs> dreams. Um, uh, no, actually it is 124,000 uh, at 6 p.m., 136,000 at 7 p.m., 123,000 for Nancy Grace at 8 p.m., 56,000 for News and a Movie at 9. So they cut Nancy Grace's audience in half. Jesus. Which I've wanted to do to Nancy Grace's audience for years. Oh, man. And it doesn't get much better. So that train wreck is my rant for the week. News in a movie on HLN, the, 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 the feature that no one's asking for. And I would have loved to hear what Robert McKee would have had to say <laughs> about taking people out of the suspension of disbelief while they're watching a film and talking about it and then putting it back on and then stopping again and taking you out of it again. I mean, that, that would have blown his mind, I'm sure. Well, 64,000 people have the answer to that question, and good luck finding them. <laughs> That's Media Unplugged for this week. Please remember to subscribe to us at iTunes or on Stitcher. And while you're there, please rate the show. It helps other folks discover us. You can also catch us at SoundCloud, Pod- Podcast One. And now, drumroll, 
on Radio Inc. and Media Biz Bloggers. We're very excited to be there. We're growing like weeds, Tom. (laughs) (laughs) You can follow Tom on Twitter, at Tom Asacker, and Mark, at Mark Ramsey Media. Send us your questions and comments using hashtag Media Unplugged. If there's a media topic you want us to cover, tweet us, because otherwise this is what you're going to get. Exactly. You can read the show notes and share the show at our website, MediaUnplugged.net. Special thanks to the producer of Media Unplugged, Jeff Schmidt. Exciting audio from media. You can find him at Jeff dash schmidt.com for the fantabulous tom asacker i'm mark ramsey thank you for listening 